So we have Kelly Morris here today. Kelly, you're the owner of Bike Education, a company that provides bicycle safety instruction, including classroom and private lessons. That's right. And you have some guests on the line. You oh, yes, them? I sure do. First, we have Jim Shanman, who is the executive director of Walk and Rollers. And he's going to talk a little bit more about what his company does. But we're going to be talking about bicycle classes in the school system. So that gives you a hint of what he does. And we also have Tana Ball. And Tana is here in LA visiting from Hawaii and gratefully her house is doing okay with this crazy hurricane. And she's with Yes Inc. And it's another provider of bicycle safety instructions in the schools. So let's start with you, Jim. Tell us about your program, Walk and Rollers. Briefly, what do you do? If you can do that brief, if you can do that briefly, <laughs> I can do, I'll do my best. Okay. Um, no me, no briefly. It's usually not in my dialogue. But I'll do my best. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so yeah, so Walking Rollers was founded to provide bicycle and pedestrian education to students, primarily to encourage them to walk and bike to school more often. And we do this in basically three ways. Uh, one, we work with schools to develop walk and bike to school programs. Two, we go to um, community events and activities so that we can provide bicycle and pedestrian safety education on site. And then number three, um, more pertinent perhaps to this conversation, is we actually go to campuses and we take over PE classes, for example, and provide bicycle and pedestrian education on campus during uh, their PE time. Okay. Could you, could you tell us a little bit more about what a walk and bike program has to what components there are? Um, yes, absolutely. So um, the walk and bike program in its, in its entirety is essentially getting a school to uh, step up their game on encouraging people to walk and bike school by um, hosting events at their school. So they might do a once-a-month type of activity where maybe they're just congratulating people for being there on site and making the effort. Perhaps it's an organized meet-up site and they walk together as a group or as a walking school bus. Or um, it might even be a weekly or, in some cases, a daily event where um, there are pre-programmed meet-up sites, walking school buses. They gather kids, um, and as they walk to school, they, they accumulate more children. So maybe they start with a dozen or half a dozen at the or, or origination site, and they build up to maybe 50 or more um, by the time they get to school. And that's what a walking school bus is. That's a, that's a walking school bus. So, yeah, so that's the basis of a walking bike school program. And is it, is it kind of? schools how to incentivize them and how to make them fun and exciting, how to build sustainability, um, how to increase capacity, uh, and hopefully make it something that the school can celebrate on a regular basis, ultimately becoming part of their DNA, if you will, where it's right up there with homework schedules, um, and academic studies and all the other rules and regulations that are discussed in the school, how they get to school safely as part of that conversation as well. And I think, Nick, you had a question about the walking school bus? I was going to say, I've always wanted to do that uh, with bikes. I think that there are things like that, like bike training. And um, I think ideally it would be like that video, you know, the, the Michael Jackson video where like he's walking <laughs> down the street and then more and more people are coming just from every direction. And, and then that's a walking school bus, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. So, yeah, you're, you're, you're referring to um, what we call a rolling bike train. Yes. And basically the same thing. Um, you've got a parent that starts maybe at their house. And as they 
go down to, uh, to school, they make a couple of stops along the way and gather up a few more kids and they, they continue on their way. Um, more, more difficult to manage and structure, but um, equally successful and popular when they're done right. Okay, thanks. We're going to have some more questions, so stay on the line. And Tana, why don't you tell us about YES? Um, YES is first an acronym for Youth Educational Sports. And it's a program that I had the opportunity for 18 years to test it in L.A. Unified. And it, it is a program that is rolled out during school hours, where Jim's is before and after school hours, mine is more, is during school hours. And the reason why I focused on this was, one, to try and get a safe venue for children to learn how to ride a bike. You think about it, any sport out there has a venue for they can learn the sport, except bicycling. And every school has a playground or a field or a PE area that's perfect for riding bikes on it. I know as a kid, I'm sure you did too, Kelly, you'd look at a school and go, oh, I want to ride my bike there. And there's no reason why that can't be facilitated, but it has to fall within the guidelines of school district thoughts. So I ended up creating curriculums, K through 12, that is skill building from all the way from elementary school where kids learn how to ride a bike all the way up to high school where they're in competition and the best part is is that now we are able to certify what we call school cycling instructors to become the train the trainer or to do professional development, to use a school district term. Okay, wait and a minute, wait a minute, minute. We gotta well, we gotta break this down because you're starting okay. to get a little technical. So oh, sorry about that. That's okay. I mean, Nick <laughs> probably knows what you're talking about because he's a teacher. What is that yes. skill building? What does that mean? Well, well, for example, um, when you learn any sport, you maybe like in baseball where you learn to catch a ball in a mitt. Then you learn to catch a ball that bounces first in, in a mitt. And then you learn to catch a ball that's overhead in a mitt. It's, it's something that you start out with a basic skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a good example of that is uh, a person gets on a bike, and if they need to execute a circle, what skills do they need to incorporate to be able to just execute a circle? Well, it ends up it's the look 90 degrees around the circle, and then the next step will be you learn to drag your brake a little bit, which gives you traction and more control, and, you know, and then that feeds into that skill that's needed for a child if they're riding on a sidewalk and they need to look ahead before making that turn so also the next skill we build on top of that is can they make that circle looking around the corner and raise the right hand as if they were signaling. That's skill building. Okay. 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 Got it. Got it. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah, yeah. you. I just oh, want to no, know no, no. what the heck, what's all these terms? No, I should be doing that yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. English. <laughs> that's, that's Yo no comprendo nada. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, ELA, but also ELD. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the school district is nothing but acronyms. So please jump <laughs> in if I start using acronyms. Mm-hmm. I know Jim <laughs> does that too, huh? <laughs> I, I I try not to, but it's yes. hard to avoid. <laughs> I'm usually not the one. What with the acronyms? Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> usually no. Oh, okay. Well, these guys can do it for us then. So I, I, as Nick mentioned, I do teach bicycle safety, and I've actually worked for both of these organizations, Walk and Rollers, and yes, as a bicycle safety instructor. And it's interesting because they come at the same idea at a different point of view. So when I work for Jim, it's usually during the PE period at the school, and we bring in the equipment. I, I guess it kind of depends on the school, Jim. We always bring in bikes, right, and other equipment? Um, almost always. Uh, one of our contracts has their own setup, so we rely on the students to bring theirs, and it's supplemented by the school. But other than that, yeah, we bring in, we, we supplement schools with the equipment they need. Okay, so bikes and helmets and all the stuff to set up the course on the, Correct. On the playground. Right. And Tana, you also bring in bikes. Your program does bring well, bikes and equipment. Right. I started out with what we call a traveling bicycle program where you would go to the school, you'd get the parents to provide a, a parent permission form so the child could ride. Um, we would bring bikes or the child could bring a bike. The only reason why I turned around and had it so that all my curriculums are acceptable for the PE department to ch- to actually conduct the classes is that um, the traveling program is great for the kid who gets that permission form or it's the after-school program, but it doesn't reach every child at school. If it's taught as a PE program, it reaches every child. It also includes children with disabilities are able to come through the PE department, like they do normally, and also learn how to ride a bike, which for them could be their main form of transportation mm-hmm. and just freedom in their future. Um, so it, 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 it allows a lot more children to be reached. Um, if it turns <coughs> into a PE unit, bicycle PE unit, that the teachers teach every year, then that means those kids will get an annual program. Plus, I also expanded the program more than just a one-day visit, a bicycle rodeo. Um, for example, the middle school program, we're start, it, it actually is a six-week PE class, but to help the PE teachers get it going, we, I condensed it into two volumes, mm-hmm. the curriculum, so that it has starts out with a three-week Okay, wait a minute, wait program. a minute. We're going to slow down a little bit. Let's slow okay, down. Okay, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> so, I understand I this, okay? I understand this. So, so Jim, Jim, you, do you, you teach primarily in elementary schools, is that correct? That is correct, yes. Okay, when is we it? We do our PE education, yeah. We, our focus is K-8 in general, but our PE education is focused on elementary school. So, when you come to elementary school, you come during PE and teach bicycle safety, correct? Correct. Okay. That's what I've experienced when I've come. So we, it takes two days per school to get all the kids in the school. Generally, yeah. It's going to obviously depend upon the size of the school. I think 
one of the, the big differences between Connor's program and our program is um, is the train the trainer aspect. You know, we go in, we take over PE. The PE coaches help us out, right. um, support us. But with Tana, she's she's training the, the teachers to do this without their assistance, from without that our assistance, empowering in all kinds of ways in a, in a different in a different way. Yeah, yeah. She's trying to work yeah. us out of our work us out of our job is what she's doing. No. Yeah, so I'm a bicycle <laughs> I'm a bicycle safety instructor, and I get to work year after year with Jim and with Tana. It's like we train the PE coaches how to teach this, and hey, hasta la vega or vega or whatever the heck. We don't want you to come back. <laughs> She's, she's building capacity so there's more schools that ah. there's, there's, oh that's there are more the way we could get to different models and, same same results yeah that's and, right but, yeah but you got to go back in and do further training with the pe teachers you know pe teachers will learn just so much and then they're going to want to learn more for, okay. for example we have a clinic tomorrow and one of the teachers that was in our pilot program is coming to that clinic because he wants to become the next level okay so there's future there's future and thank you jim for explaining my program i appreciate it <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's interesting because kelly had started saying that we have very different approaches and as she described them they're actually quite similar in the sense that we're teaching the kids during the period um right so i, I just wanted to make that distinction that you know our goal is to get in and inspire the children and give them the basic safety lessons they need and okay. bring bring a service to them that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. Hopefully building enthusiasm and excitement so when they get to the middle school, Tom is taking it to a whole other level. Perhaps they've ridden in between and, you know, it, it, in, in, in concept they can work back to back like that. So uh, we, But oh. ultimately we're doing the same things. We're, we're teaching right. kids. Right. Oh no, no. Yeah. So we have um, we have a call. A caller is the caller oh. on the line, Nick. Can we um, hear the question? They have a question about um, busing. Hello, caller. Hi. And what's your name? Hi. This is Joseph. Hi, Joseph. Joseph. Welcome. What's your Hi, question? Hi. Um, thank you. I'm so happy that you're talking about school districts, um, in particular LAUSD. Okay. Um, what I wanted to call to ask about um, is uh, I worked for a while for the state of California in an assembly member's office, and I came to find out that in California, school districts are exempt from air quality, a lot of air quality law, because they have uh, been asked to desegregate schools by using school buses. Um, the result, the unfortunate result of this, uh, of this exemption of this class of exemptions, uh, for example, would be Rule 2202, which every large employer in Southern California at least has to abide by, and that's a mobile point source pollution rule. So it basically means that every big employer, the city of L.A. included, uh, has to provide for ways of reducing private automobile use. And they do it in lots of different ways. They run shuttles, they do transit programs, um, some sponsor people riding their bikes to work. School districts, and in particular LAUSD, uh, are of course exempt, and so really are some of the worst abusers of our public rights of way. I think everybody's familiar with the big flood of traffic by both parents, but also staff and faculty um, and administration that uh, service our schools. And they're not bad people, but the institution itself, um, the exemptions carved out for school districts to um, exempt them from air quality laws have really turned them into some of the biggest sources of congestion, of traffic and air pollution. And um, I was wondering if there was 
uh, your thoughts on that and, and uh, what you think might be a reasonable way forward uh, with regards to bike advocacy? That's a great question. Can, can I interject on that one? Of course, okay. go ahead. Um, yeah. One yeah. of, one of the, the exciting, um, unexpected outcome that's come with us teaching the PE teachers is that there are programs out there and there are schools that, especially when they have a fleet of bike at the schools, rather than schedule the bus to do a field trip, they get on a bike with the kids. Oh, that's a for great example, idea. Yeah, I've for worked example, for a tour company that, that has been hired to do tours as well with school kids, and we've had a slight oh, uptick in that business this last year. Yes. And, for example, Marina Del Rey was one of my pilots to see, you know, how it worked with PE teachers. And they have... Um, it's not an oceanography. Uh, I can't remember the, the title of the, the magnet there at Marina del Rey. And they, the kids are trained first on how to ride the bikes correctly and safely in the PE class. And once they qualify that, then when those in the oceanography magnet need to go to the ocean to do their studies, rather than take a school bus, they ride the bike. And I've, I've heard that <laughs> is something that is other schools have thought of, too. Let's take a bike so they get exercise going there. Yeah. That's a great idea. Oh, great. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for the solution. input, and um, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Oh, sure. Jim, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I sure did. I mean, he was absolutely right. Um, you know, the schools are responsible for anywhere from 15 to 20% of morning congestion. And so, um, and... Uh, pollution levels have gotten to be so so bad um, that they're they're literally moderated or um, measurable at the school sites during the morning. I mean, there's a definite uptick in the mornings, um, certainly in the mm-hmm. afternoons, also morning wow. drop off when everyone's arriving at the same time. So it's mm-hmm. clearly a problem. And um, I actually did not know that they were exempt from some of these rules. So that explains why there's a lack of incentive to really push forward. Um, the other part of what we do, besides the bicycle education, is the walking school buses and the walk-to-school program. And one of the major advantages of that is to reduce the traffic and the pollution around the school. Um, so it, there are ways to address these situations. Um, if we can just work with more schools um, and develop that capacity out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really tough, too. Uh, I've seen what it looks like at schools when you're trying to drop your kid off in the morning. And I can understand why parents would be very afraid to even think about letting their kid ride their bike or walk to school because they know (laughs) how they drive. Yeah, the the irony is is overwhelming that, you know, the the traffic is bad and so the parents don't want their kids to walk or bike. Their solution they come up with is to put them in a car and increase that traffic and congestion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sadly, one of the biggest causes of fatalities in youth are car crashes. So it's, it's yeah. like a no-win solution unless you get them out of the cars in the first place. Okay. And there, there's one other element, and it's something that Specialized is looking into and trying to document even more. Specialized? If, uh, Tana, what's Specialized? Specialized, the bicycle company. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, okay. They're, they're, sorry, the bicycle company specialized. Um, they're working with a doctorate out of uh, Stanford that if 
a child could get a decent um, workout on a bicycle going to school. That is that is a perfect combatant for that child against ADHD. Mm. That it will actually help them to be able to function during the day in the school, and then if he rides or she rides after school on a bicycle. Um, it's the same principle you could use Mark Phelps, the swimmer. Mm-hmm. He has a or had ADHD, and that's how he controlled it through his life, is he would do his laps in a pool before, mm-hmm. and then laps in a pool afterwards, and he never had to be on meds because of that. So, so I, we could... I love all these ideas, but Mm -hmm. don't we have to think about the liability of having kids riding their bikes on the street if we promote programs like that? Um, Can I? um, I'll I'll go after some. Jim, do you have something you want to add? I do, if you don't. Uh, Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That that always seems to come up. And, you know, it never seems to come up when when parents are, are are driving their kids to school. You know, if they're in a car crash, Nobody talks about the risk of liability, even though they're far more likely to be in a car crash. If they're walking four blocks from their, their house or they're walking two blocks from their house to the school, nobody really talks about that. But once you kind of get it organized, it suddenly becomes a, a, a question. And in truth, it really isn't. Um, they're, they're, you know, the school is responsible for a certain amount of, of overse- oversight for the children, but getting to school tends to fall outside of that to okay. a certain degree. Um, so there are ways to structure it. There are ways to protect school districts. Um, but really the risk is quite minimal. Um, and the the benefits are so great. Okay. And there, there's a new movement that's going through the United States. I know New York has and a few others and LA is dropping, is adopting vision zero. And from that, they have gotten funding or something like 22 million to identify and one of the things they're doing is identifying the schools that have had the most crashes to try and, through infrastructure, help make the the passage to and from school safer and can for you, the students. Can you define Vision Zero for us? Um, vision Zero for us, and this is going to be kind of... Um, and for for the typical car driver, it's kind of interesting, especially in L.A. They're, they're actually starting to realize that um, the, the speed of which the cars travel is hazardous to people's health. What a concept. Um, and that we need to slow traffic down, not increase traffic. And, of course, to also minimize or lessen the amount of cars that are on the road would be also very beneficial. That's why they're supporting bicycling and pedestrians, and um, they're, they're very excited about that. In fact, that's, we have a grant in LA Unified that we're putting, we're training 35 middle schools, the P, you know, put the bicycle program in the 35 middle school, and that funding comes from Vision Zero. Um, and besides you know, trying to slow the traffic down. They're also doing a conscious effort of trying to help people realize that injuries are preventable and that it's something that through education and awareness that people will be more aware of 
bicycles on the road and will then take better care of not hopefully running into them. It, it's a new concept and it's really kind of interesting and it's, and that it's catching on in the, in the United States. But if you go to a lot of countries in Europe and what have you, you will see um, the traffic is slowed down. You can see there's more areas and uh, the, the drivers allow more of the bicycles to be on the road and there's that consideration. So it's, it's a, a program that's trying to change a mindset of drivers. So we'll see how this goes. It's going to be, it's, it's great that LA took this on and I forgot what year it was that they were planning on reducing the, the crashes considerably by a certain time. 2035? I, I could look. 2035, mm-hmm. so... Uh, yeah, 2035, yeah. Did you want to add and, something, and Jim? The, I, I sure did, yeah. So the, the goal of Vision Zero is, is this, it's actually this very broad picture. The idea is to reduce mm-hmm. the amount of traffic fatalities that are out there. And for the first time, I think it was Europe had looked at this, and the United States has now adopted it um, in their standards and codes and just their general approach to street safety, where, you know, crashes are going to happen, and for decades. We've been designing streets and infrastructure to prevent car crashes, um, but people are dying. So now the focus is on, you know, let's prevent the deaths. And by by preventing deaths and fatalities, we're going to create safer streets and crashes are, will, will go down as well. But really, the ultimate goal is to save people's lives. Um, and in doing that, it makes the streets safer for virtually everybody. Walkers, uh, you know, pedestrians, mm-hmm. cyclists, uh, elderly, the young, motorists, people on motorcycles, the, whole, the, the focus is, is keeping people alive and building infrastructure and policies and campaigns to help address that. Um, so the vision zero sense. is that they want zero fatalities by right. yeah. 2030 right. what? 35. 35. 35. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and, and various cities Thank have it differently. You know, New York has, has had great success and largely through a marketing campaign. Um, they've already built a lot of infrastructure there, and now they're creating an awareness and making mm-hmm. sure people understand what's at risk here. And so, it seems to be working. Jim, could you talk a little bit about what infrastructure is? Oh, sure. that's a good one. <laughs> infrastructure is the built environment, um, to put it distinctly. So um, when you're talking about it in, in the terms that we're talking about, it's building streets um, that are safer uh, for motorists and pedestrians and cyclists. So it could be everything from new crosswalks to new signals to curb extensions, um, properly placed medians, uh, protected bike lanes, uh, separated bikeways, uh, you know, anything in that built environment that allows for transit to function the way that it it functions. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So we got on to Vision Zero. Because of our last <laughs> caller. Do we have any more callers? Let's see what else do we have. Or we can get back to our programs here. Um, so both of you, Tana, you said, what, 18 years you've been doing this? Is that what you said? Um, I, I, I was with LA Unified for uh-huh. 18 years. Oh, okay. But she said you've and, been, you know, Bicycle, was, your, your, your company, though. How old is your company? Um, nineteen ninety eight. We got to do the math. Yeah, for twenty years. <laughs> how we about you? Do the math. Okay, Jim. How long have you been around walking rollers? Uh, 
I'll, I'll make it easy. We, we're in our eighth year now. Oh, so. okay. Okay, okay. How has bicycle safety education in the schools changed over the years that you've had your companies? Wow. You want to go first? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, on some levels, it hasn't changed at all. You know, we're still, we're, we're teaching the same stuff. I mean, Tom has been doing this for so long, and, you know, we, we how we teach it and what we teach is really not changed. I would So I would say that what changed is there's now more of an acceptance of having us come in and do our jobs. Uh, you know, a great example is uh, the work we're doing in Lenox, uh, which is a small community um, south of, in the south part of Los Angeles, um, where the school district has decided that what we're providing is as important as everything else. And so we're part of their budget. Um, and that probably wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. Uh, you know, we're and admits, not only admits budget cuts, but just recognizing the priorities of keeping kids safer and teaching them lessons they're not going to learn anywhere else mm-hmm. um, is, has become a priority for them. Okay. All right. How about you, Tana? Um, it's interesting, you know, because I originally came out of bicycle racing. Um, I was a, a, a coach at the Olympic Training Center for a while. But it, to, I've definitely seen uh, a shift and how cycling is visioned. You know, years ago, cycling was this unusual sport that very few people knew about or adventured in it, and, you know, or else it was the rite of passage for a child growing up, and everybody started out in the younger years, in the early, early elementary school years, as riding a bike. Then... It, it started to shift around, and part of that is because of the environment. Part of that is because of a lot of the younger people looking for other forms of transportation. Um, it, it's now shifted into more of an acceptable form of transportation than what it was before. And it's even shifted into just a general lifestyle. Um, which is, you know, to to be able to see people in dress clothes riding on a bicycle going to work is is something that many years ago I never th- would think I would see that, and it would be an acceptable um, lifestyle. You know, it's funny and you it, should mention that because um, recently my daughter, my older daughter, we won't uh-huh. talk about that she's in her. Th- 30s. Um, yeah. yeah, right. Um, she, uh, her car finally died. And at first she said, Oh, I'll buy a car. But then she decided, Nah, I don't think I'm going to buy a car. So she takes her rides her bike to work, which is only a couple of miles for her to ride. She has a an old vintage swin. And then her daughter takes the bus her her daughter who goes to middle school, my granddaughter, takes the bus to school. And when they need to get farther away, they rent a car or they take Uber oh. or Lyft and she's doing just fine without a car. And the the you know, the grocery mm-hmm. store is two blocks away, so it's kinda like, hmm, you know what? Maybe I don't need a car. It's interesting. I if yeah, it, it is 
very, it's very interesting. Our, our mindsets are shifting because now there's options available to us that weren't right. uh, available before. Right. And I think that's really mm-hmm. great. And it's and one leads into the next. You know, once you can take Uber and Lyft places, for example, suddenly you realize maybe you don't need a car like you thought you did mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. past. And mm-hmm. when you start saving that kind of money, it opens up all kinds of other options. And, sure. Uh, so... Yeah, it's a changing world step by step, mm-hmm. and I think we're moving in the right direction. Um, if we just build our streets a little safer, we'll be in great shape. Yeah, in fact, for many mm-hmm. years, my husband and I shared one car, and the person that had to go the least distance, which was usually me, had to ride my bike. So for a long time, we only had one car, and I would do first mile and last mile on my bike, so I'd ride to transit take the bus, take the train, because we're not too far from the blue line in Long Beach, and take it to where I want it to go. So if I worked for Culver City for walk and rollers, I'd just take the blue line to the expo line, get off and ride to the school I was working at. And that worked out. And you got there faster than the freeway. Well, only going home. It would be faster Uh to drive in the morning. But in the evening, yeah, I got home faster on the transit. Yeah, exactly. But I got home relaxed. That's the for sure. My I, I'm just, oh yeah. I'm just transitioning to to being a, a one car family. Oh, you are. Yeah. I I, uh, I I my car got rear-ended and it just turned out it was unsafe. Oh. So and instead of getting a new one, we're just going to share the car. And I've been uh, last semester I biked to work and now I'm I'm carpooling with another teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty far. But I, I'm also uh, supplementing it with Lyft and it's working out. Yeah, it worked out great for us. We loved it. Um, and yeah, we're we're in that spot right now where we have one car, and I have one that I use for hauling our equipment around. But the other day, I really don't need one very much. And we've been discussing, do we really need to have that second car? And the only reason we're seriously contemplating it is our daughter turns 16 in a year. So we all know what that means. <laughs> and so at some point we're going to need that extra vehicle just to like shuttle everything around so mm-hmm. we're trying to like figure out how to make it work I'm perfectly happy doing a, the lift the occasional lift ride or mm-hmm. the occasional car mm-hmm. rental right um, but the cost savings alone is extraordinary yeah and you know I live in a world where it's relatively convenient not to drive and mm-hmm. so it's this big dilemma so I keep dragging my feet and for obvious reasons but We'll see where this uh, where this all plays out, but I, you know, again, five years ago, I, I wouldn't have considered that. Mm-hmm. And now, and, a lot of he- and nowadays, I have an electric bike, electric assist bike, so that mm-hmm. makes it even better because I get to my lo- <laughs> I get to my locations with a nice glow instead of outright sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And and a lot of the young people are realizing that they get a car that money can go towards their education. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of your college students are shifting to other forms of transportation than mm-hmm. cars. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think um, Volvo has a car out that you can't actually buy. Mm-hmm. Yes, isn't it? Yes. You can only lease it. Not lease it. It's like you pay monthly payments on it. I forget what it was. Can you guys look that up? Maybe you can help me. Where you can only uh, make look, monthly we'll payment, payments on Nick, is, Nick you, you're going to look it up? You, you can only make monthly payments on it. You can't outright buy the car. And the payments include insurance, 
maintenance, and I think even gas. Wow. There, there are a, a few firms like that where the idea is you, you have a car for just as long as you need it, and you move on to either another car or a different form. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was something I had actually looked into. There's a, a down payment of like $500, and then you have this payment that's a little bit high because it includes insurance and some other things, but right. you're not tied to anything. So right. You might you might pay five fifty or something a month for a car that might have like cost you three fifty, but then you only do it for two months and then you move on. Yeah. Or you don't like you don't like the car or whatever your needs change or what have you. You're not locked down to it. Right. Um, and so in concept that sounded really tempting until I saw the dollars and I thought, well that's kinda dumb. I'd rather just rent a car twice a week if I had to. Um so yeah, it, but there, but again, you know, there's these options that just simply didn't exist right. five years ago, right? And it's really cool seeing how it's playing out and mm-hmm. what that means for the future of transportation. So hopefully, all goes well. These things play out in a really positive way. Hopefully, the cities use their dollars correctly and appropriately to build the proper infrastructure. And hopefully, Tom and I do a really good job teaching kids not only how to <laughs> ride bikes properly, but the desire to continue to do so. Um, and if we do, if we, if we all do our jobs right, it will be a new world. <laughs> so it looks like Nick may have found that, found that thing about Volvo. It's, it's oh, really? Care cool. by Volvo Premium Subscription Service. So you subscribe to a car. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Does it have a little detail on it? But Well, the thing I found is, is by Business Insider, and they're trying to say why. It's bad not to be able to buy the car, but I, I don't know if, if we can trust Business Insider. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'd have to read it and think about it. So if anybody wants to follow up, that's a premium subscription service care by Volvo. Hey, let's get yeah, back to bicycling. Yeah. Yeah. We're just all over the map. I love it. Um, okay. So in, in my list of questions, um, what are you, the challenges that you two are facing in growing or even maintaining your programs. Jim, you want to take that first? Uh, sure. Um, the, the problems in, I mean, it, we're a nonprofit, right? So right. it always comes to funding. <laughs> um, there's very little competition in what we do. Um, we think we do it really well. Everywhere we go, we're asked back. Um, so it really comes down to funding sources. Okay. Um, and we get funding from three primary areas. Um, mm-hmm. We don't do a lot of donations, so we're not really funded privately in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there are contracts that are out there um, through safe routes to school funding or independent contracts, such as what we're doing in Lenox. That's by far our biggest funding source. Um, uh, and those are, and then there's grant opportunities as well, both foundational and government-oriented. Uh, so, And those just are a tremendous amount of work to go after. So for us, it really just comes down to funding. So when we when we have our contracts, our scope is pretty specific, and we address it accordingly, and we're, we're paid fairly for that. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're on a grant, again, the scope is generally pretty specific, and the grants cover our needs. Um, but in order for us to grow and bring our services to more schools and more communities, we need bigger dollars coming in, quite frankly, um, from sources that aren't so specific about either where they're used or, or necessarily how they're used. You know, if we can give them a general plan and a geographic range, um, 
that would be sufficient. Um, so we're that's the next step for us and our next biggest challenge. And our board is focused on making that happen in the next year or so. Okay. Um, finding those funding sources that will allow us to grow and do the work we do on a bigger scale. Okay. Okay. Do, do you want to share a little bit more about how you're finding those funding sources, or is that is that top secret right now? Oh, it's not top secret. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot of research. I mean, we're doing, I, I say that jokingly, we're doing our research. We're looking into foundations. We're looking into other funding sources. Okay. Um, we're trying to be creative about it. Um, we're certainly not sitting around hoping that it falls in our lap. Um, so we're, we're making that happen in incremental steps. Okay. Um, in the meantime, the, the contracts are out there. Um, cities have um, smartly... Um, replied or responded to the federal and the state government and transportation organization call for projects so mm-hmm. they received their funding um, and so we're in line to fulfill those aspects of it so that's that's a key source for us um, but you know that's not going to last forever and it's not a growth step it's a sustainable step it's not how you grow okay um, yeah so that's that, I would say that's our biggest challenge um, at this point funding okay got it how about you tana um well i'm kind of in a different category because my funding source has always been through grants and um fortunately there's a lot of funding coming you know it, it it's interesting i'm dealing in education but all my funding sources came from um either department of public health or through transportation and right now we have two grants that we're doing in LA Unified. One is through Safe Routes to School through the City Transportation Department, LA DOT, and the other one um, is Caltrans. It's a state fund that the school district directly applied for, and that kind of set a new paradigm for school districts um, are now allowed to apply for safe routes to school funding, they do not need to be a city. They do not need to be under a city to be able to apply for the funding. They can actually go directly for that funding. Um, So my dilemma more, um, because I can help other cities and and school districts, you know, I give them copies of my um, winning proposals so that they can learn by what we've done. Um, it's interesting that a lot of the communities are starting to learn about us teaching PE teachers to do a bicycle program. And I'm getting a lot of inquiries about, gee, can you come do that in our community? Mm-hmm. And, and just within the last couple of weeks, um, LADOT as part of their Vision Zero movement, um, um, LA DOT, the lady in charge of that, um, putting the educational programs into giving us the grant to do this program, um, she put a blog onto the Safe Routes of School National Partnership that was bragging about the program and how successful it is. You know, we've only done the pilot. And because of that, we're getting a lot of inquiries from other communities. So I'm in the process of gearing up 
hopefully the um, youth educational sports so that we can train more cyclists. Okay. How to go about training um, and going to these other communities to help them learn how to do the program too. It's interesting. I actually have SCIs who did the online training, one from Redlands, one from couple from Bakersfield area, um, one from Ohio, and what have you, and they are actually getting funded and they're getting ready to start the programs. Okay, and SCI, and SCI, just for our listeners, school, is a cer- school, school, school certified instructor. Right. And that is a certification program where we, yes, sports teaches them how to coach the PE coaches in the curriculum provided. Right, right. To so train and, them in the curriculum. Yeah. yeah, and how to work within the school systems because I'm sure both of you will agree there are certain nuances, uh, nuances to working within a school system. Yes. Yeah, that's something I was going to ask. I mean, to get anything done with the LUSD, especially something that you've done on such a large scale, and uh, what is it? Is it thirty-five schools, or is it just the middle schools? How, it just must um, be. Oh, you mean the grant? Yeah. Yes. Oh, the LADOT's grant, um, which is interesting. Uh, we're gearing up to put that into thirty-five middle schools, um, and that. And then the ATP grant that's through Caltrans, that's going to be about 40 schools. And that one even has funding for each of those particular schools to receive a fleet of bikes okay. that belong then to the PE department. Now, and this is over how many years or is this program going in, to be? In both cases, in both, typical of transportation funding, it's usually about two with a possibility of extending it. Usually, if you can give good reasons, they'll let you extend it a third year. Okay. Now, can we go back to the SCI? How do you become an SCI? Um, in, in what I, I am not training people how to be cyclists. Um, you know, if you want to be trained how to be a, a superb cyclist, um, take some classes from the USA Cycling. Um, take classes from the League of American Women. Become an LCI. Become a USA Cycling coach, um, a NICA coach. I'm taking already cyclists who are trained and then teaching them about the curriculum, teaching them how to interface with school districts, teaching them how to interact and bring the PE department and the PE teachers up to speed on cycling. So you need a certification, uh, accepted right. certification, and then you can take the YES program and get that cert, extra certification. Or, or else you, you, know, you can give me a cycling resume that shows that you've had some training, mm-hmm. preferably. Um, you know, we may, we're in the process, which is nice. Um, USA Cycling is, they've actually got a, a, getting a small grant so that they can interface with us to, to get more people involved and get the, and interface more with getting kids into it. And it, it, it's, it's growing and, um, 
I've got to gear up getting a lot more people to become school cycling instructors to have them start going to all these other cities and school districts that want to start the program. Great. You know what? I, I think mm. we're probably almost... We close? Yeah, I, I mean, we've been on for 50 minutes, and I think we probably can keep, keep talking forever. Um <laughs> But thank you guys. I I think it's about time to wrap it up. And um, do you have any closing thoughts about our conversation? Something that you'd like to share with the listening audience? Jim, you want to go sure. for um, Yeah, I mean, I hadn't prepared a closing, a closing argument. Um, so uh, I would say just in general to parents that are listening or um, or paying attention in some way, that it's important to encourage your kids to be active in other ways besides just playing a sport. Uh, walking and biking school is a great way to do that. Um, we need to teach our kids that you don't have to drive door-to-door every day for everything that you do. Um, the programs that we, we do, um, in addition to teaching kids how to safe cycle and how to walk to school safely, also teach life skills like responsibility and time management, um, awareness of your community, social skills, things that you don't really learn elsewhere and are really invaluable. And just those few blocks of walking or biking to school and doing it safely really make a huge difference to the kids. Um, and then when we get a chance to teach them during PE, it's not an abstract idea. It becomes, we're just, we're, we're sort of, emphasizing what they've already learned or taking it to a different level for them. So to the parents out there, get your kids walking and rolling, have some fun with it, talk to your schools about doing programs. Um, Con and I service a huge area, so if your schools are interested in doing either of what we're offering, you know, that's the conversation having the principal and get it started. And and Jim, and, how can they reach you? What do you give us your contact information? Uh, the easiest way is through our website, which is www.walkmorebikemore.org. Um, Say that again, please. Me. Say that again. Sure. It's www.walkmorebikemore.org. Um, and the information is out there on the site of what we offer and the events that we have coming up in the various communities. Um, so, yeah, so thank you for having me. As part of this, it's been, it's been great. Um, I've learned a few things as well. Oh, that's good. We definitely have. <laughs> and, and can I add yeah, one you. little note to all this? Of course. Well, we Here's, want your closing remarks, too, but go oh, ahead. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Um, my kind of new observation on what the whole movement is going on with cycling and what another area we can benefit the youth amazingly is so many of the youth, you see them, looking down at a phone. They're looking at an iPod. They're not interacting with their world around them. I find they are completely disconnected with the environment. And by getting them out on a bike, getting them out walking, you're reconnecting them with the environment and nature. I'm worried about people's awareness of climate change. And we got to bring these kids up so that they're aware of what's around them in the in outside and in, in nature and the world so that they're sensitive to that and not just going to look at an iPod for the rest of their lives. 
So getting them out on a bike is really, really important. Getting them out so they're walking, getting them out of the, the, the house may be what's going to save this planet. And that may sound really far-fetched, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's happening with our it's happening with our youth, and we need to get them out there. Um, and if anybody, you know, I suggest people go to the website, Youth Educational Sports, comma, Inc. And, Say that um, again, please. I, oh, sure. Youth Educational Sports, Inc. Dot org, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. the, the, the email address is info at Y-E-S. P-O-R-T-S dot org. Okay, great. Okay. Super. And thank you, Kelly, for uh, hosting us. Oh, and you're welcome. thank you, Nick. Hey, thank you. And my school is one of the 35 that you're going to roll it out in this year. And oh, and that's awesome. Yeah. I, oh, how magical is that? Yeah. And I already have a <laughs> bike club. I um, think you and I have talked on this already. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes, it's up. yes, yes. It's up on SoundCloud and KPFK. I know. Yeah. So thanks yeah. for thanks for Kelly for for going into it. Oh yeah, I love working with these two guys. It's so much fun. <laughs> and uh, my my organization is bikeeducation.org and I teach bicycle safety, but I also give private lessons to teach children through adults how to ride a bike because you'd be surprised at how many adults don't know how to ride a bike. My mm-hmm. oldest client was a 75-year-old man that said it's time to learn how to ride a bike. Oh. And you can reach... You gotta love that. Yeah, you do. I think it was awesome. Um, and you can reach yeah. me at Kelly, K-E-L-L-I-E, at bikeucation.org. Thank I you. think we're finished, Nick. Thank, Thank you, you guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 